And as you do so, we're returning in our studies this evening to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're slowly making our way to the end. I can't believe that after tonight there will only be three more stanzas in this psalm. I thought whenever I had chosen it that I've got a long time in Psalm 119, but not so. And so this evening, let's read together Psalm 119, verses 145 through 152. Again, give careful attention. This is the Word of God. With my whole heart I cry, Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, Save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Amen. This is God's holy word. When the Apostle Paul was in prison for the second time and was facing imminent execution, he wrote a deeply personal letter to his young son in the ministry. That letter is, of course, 2 Timothy. And at the very end of that letter, the aged apostle speaks honestly about both his sorrow and his comfort. He writes, At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. All deserted him, but not the Lord. The Father stood with him and strengthened him. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Think upon those words. I will never leave you nor abandon you. How many in our day feel abandoned? How many in our day would be like the Apostle Paul who wrote to Timothy at the beginning of his ministry, I feel abandoned by people. Take it all the way back to Psalm 119 and verse 145 through 152. And surely this psalm resonates with Paul's confidence, not in the people, but God. Here we see that even 
when our enemies draw near, when the trials of this world would press heavy upon us, dear saint of God, be reassured, but God. We can rest assured that our Lord is ever near us. He knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. And as Psalm 46 verse 1 promises, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. That is what you grasp this evening. Not the help of man, not the help of those around you, but the help of your God. And so this evening, I want to think of two points. Normally it's three, tonight it's two. Thought I'd change it up a little. First of all, we're going to look on the call on the Lord. And then secondly, we're going to look at enemies close but God. So first of all, call on the Lord. With my whole heart I cry out, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimony. This is a prayer. This is a simple yet profound prayer from the psalmist who is requiring affirmation or confirmation that indeed God hears his prayers. And that he would not only hear them, but that God would save him through answering them. His request for salvation is not mentioned here, but the psalmist has written so much about his enemies that they're closing in on every side and he is being oppressed. That the opening words that many commentators would say is actually about himself and his walk with God. With my whole heart I cry, answer me. The psalmist is crying on to God to save him spiritually and eternally, to grant him forgiveness and mercy. That Hebrew word that is used here, cry, it means to, to cry on to a deity for help. He's crying on to his great God. He's uttering a loud sound. He's, he's as it were, yelling to the very heavens. With my whole heart, I yell. Answer me, O Lord. When we first read it, we might think it's some sort of timid prayer, but it's not. The psalmist comes here with a cry of desperation. The language that's in the Hebrew is one that he realizes he cannot help himself. It has to go above men and those around him. It has to go to the only one he knows that can help. Matthew Henry says that this, this prayer, these verses were inward. He was praying with his heart. This prayer may have been a silent prayer that wasn't known to the world, but it was known to his God. And he uses that term, his, his whole heart. 
It's basically everything that he has is, as it were, yelling to God, help me, answer me. The psalmist is persistent in doing this. He cries out in earnest with fervor and with a holy passion and that desire. He was seeking an answer. He was crying on to God for a response. He was asking God for guidance, for deliverance. He was day after day after day crying with his whole heart, Lord, answer me. Have we ever been there in our prayer lives? If the last seven months have made us do nothing more than marvel at medicine, surely it has us at our knees praying for that little one in that hospital bed, crying out to God with our whole heart, Lord, help her. God, let us know that you are there. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though we walk through trials and tribulations, Lord, I cry with my whole heart. Let me know you're there. Answer me. We do this because there's times when, if we're being honest, we feel alone. We feel abandoned because not of God, but of this world. That at times we can lose sight of God in our lives. And yet we need to cry for out to him, for his presence, for his de- that desire, that acknowledge from him to hear our prayers. The psalmist uses a term here that the Jews hardly ever used. In your Bible, it's Lord in all capitals. Yahweh. It's that Hebrew name for God. Why would they not use it? Well, respect of fear of who God is. And yet the psalmist here with his whole heart cries out, Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me according to your word. Enable and help me. The Jews in those days would not have used that name for for fear of the slightest slip of tongue that they they would profane God's name. We can see here, even in this first sentence, the seriousness and the heartfeltness of this prayer. It was so important, and yet it was somber to the psalmist as he prays it. This was not a prayer of reflex, but a prayer from the heart and one that he agonized over. It wasn't just a simple throwing a few words up to heaven. No, he's with his whole heart groaning to God. Verse 146, it it has that word observe. That to to keep or to obey. The sincerity of of this prayer is given to us. 
The psalmist was, was not seeking ease or comfort in his life. What was he wanting? He wasn't run, wanting riches of this world. He was wanting peace with God. He wanted God to be near him. He wanted God to save him. Why? So that he could observe your testimonies. Likewise, our cry for salvation. It's not for ease or comfort in this life. We thought about that this morning. It should be with trials and tribulations, as hard as they may be. Our desire is to be at peace with our God. He uses that term testimonies here. Here we can see the psalmist, he binds himself to, to some duty or submission and service as he was pursuing God's mercies. He says, I will keep your observations of your statutes that I may observe them. He was resolved to obey God's law. Lord willing, the fourth time I preach to you on a Sunday evening, we're going to be opening up the Ten Commandments and studying the law of God. God's law is being trampled underfoot. Our children are being taught so well in children's Sunday school of our catechism and they're currently going through the commandments. And it's interesting to read some of what our teachers are teaching them. Of how much the world in which we live has no, res no time, no notion of even what God's law is. And sadly the same can be said for God's church. Past an American Christian where to even find the law of God. They've got no idea. And yet here the psalmist. With his whole heart. Crying. Asking for deliverance. That he could keep the statutes. That he could observe the testimonies. Of our great God. Proverbs 28.9 says. God detests the prayers of a person. Who ignores the law. Quite stark and sharp words. And yet how so true. God does not want to hear the prayers of those who openly rebel against his commandments. He wants us to come with that desire, that yearning, that wanting to have been saved. That we can observe his testimonies. Those that are written in the word of God. These two verses show us that the psalmist understood that prayer in and of itself was useless without wailing and obedience hearts and an attitude behind those prayers. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer closet? When last were you in it? Prayer is a blessing given to us by God. 
but it's also one of the hardest things to do. The psalmist here shows us that with his whole heart, not a half measure, not a few words just thrown up and nothing thought about them, no. His whole heart he cried. In his prayer closet, he was, as it were, would yell to heaven, Lord, answer me. Show me your way. He did so in a spirit of obedience and submission to God. We can cry on to God for many things. And he may hear our prayers and he may choose not to answer some. And we need to be okay with that. Why? Because God is God. We need to come and cry on to him. And live our lives pleasing to him, submitting to his law. But as we move on to verses 147 and 148, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. There are many times that people have asked, When's the best time to do your devotions? When should you open God's word and read it? Matthew Henry says here that the psalmist relates here how he had abounded in prayer and cried out for deep affection. And it's after those deep affectionate prayers that he turns to God's word. The King James Version, which I think renders this verse 147, even better, reads, I prevented the dawn. That does not mean that the psalmist literally thinks that he can hold back the day. That word used here for prevented, that's hard to get out in a Sunday evening, literally means to come before. This means that the psalmist anticipated not only the dawn, the rising of the sun in the morning, but even the watches of the night. That time when we might expect to find someone asleep. He says that he is awake and seeking God's truth. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Such is the desire and the earnest desire and love for God's truth that he's up early in the morning. Psalm 63 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. He's not thinking of a person on this earth. Those of you who are in love and thinking of your spices, perhaps lie awake, thinking of them at night. But the psalmist here is thinking of his true love. He's thinking of his God that he is meditating on through the night. His complete hope is in the law of God, and so he thinks and meditates upon it through the evening hours. Reading God's word is not enough. 
We must meditate. We must mutter on it. We must absorb it into our very lives. That as we lie in our beds at night, as our eyelids are open, that we're not thinking upon the things of this earth. No, we're meditating on the things of God. When should you have your devotions? Early in the morning. The psalmist here shows us that indeed he is an early riser. And he begins his day the best way. With God. Before he committed himself to any business, what does he do? He prays. And he meditates. And he thinks. This is because that was the best time when his mind was the most fresh and in the best frame. For some, that might be after a cup of joe in the morning. I know for me, when my eyelids first open, it's a little blurry. And the old brain doesn't quite work how it used to. But here the psalmist reminds us that the very first moments of the morning are our very thoughts as believers should be of God. What a rebuke to myself. The psalmist's mind was full of God. Even in the night watches, when he awakened from his first sleep, he would rather meditate, he would rather think on the things of God and pray than turn over and fall back to sleep. 148 tells us the watchmen, those watch times. Do you know when they are? If this was a Sunday school lesson, I'd ask you, what were the three times of the watch in the evening? They were 6 p.m., 10 p.m., and 2 a.m. We can see that sleep and slumber were not a priority here for the psalmist. There are times, brothers and sisters, in the evening hours that we must be in prayer and meditate on the Word of God. And many times that means that we have to sacrifice sleep to do so. The psalmist would set aside time for earnest, fervent prayer. He was a busy man. Extremely busy. And yet he made absolutely no excuse from keeping his private time of devotion. But what about us? I didn't want to write this. But what about us? I'm not standing up here this evening and you can ask my wife. It's not like I spring out of bed in the morning and skip along and grab my Bible and go into my prayer time and read the Word. Sometimes it's a duty. Sometimes it's the last thing I want to do. Sometimes we only seek God in our times of convenience. Sometimes we only seek God when we think we have the time. Brothers and sisters, we must need and do whatever is necessary 
Should that be interrupting our sleep patterns? Should that be interrupting our nightly routines? Why? Because our relationship with God is not based on convenience, but it's based on submission and service to a holy God and to a Son who has paid everything on our behalf. Reading your Bible and praying is not easy. But yet, it's that life, blood to our souls. We must be in the Word. We must be men and women off the Word, not merely reading it, but meditating upon it, muttering it throughout the day. We must be in times of prayer. We need to be on our knees. If there's one thing that this wonderful country that I'm a part of now has forgotten, it's prayer. I spoke to a brother a couple of weeks ago who said that sadly their prayer meeting is no more. The times of corporate prayer are gone. Brothers and sisters, we need to be like the psalmist. With our whole heart. With our whole heart crying out to God, both privately and corporately as God's people. Verse 149 says, Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Here he is again. Answer me. Answer me, God. Where is his confidence found throughout all of this, this psalm, this prayer, and in fact for us sitting here this evening? The steadfast love of God. That faithful covenantal love of those who belong to him. Do you know, child of God, this evening that you are loved by a holy God? A holy God. And yet he loves you if you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We can come to our Lord at any time and anywhere. We don't have to go through many rituals like they did in the Old Testament. When Christ died on Calvary's hill, what happened? That curtain was torn from top to bottom. That as God's people, we have access to the very throne room of heaven. God loves us. It's like love that a father has for his children. But yet even that peels in significance. His love is a true, tender, genuine, and affectionate love that we this evening need not fear or doubt. Our love is like that of a roller coaster. Next time you go to San Francisco, hang out to your right-hand side and see all those rides. 
And they go like this, up and down. But not the love of God. It never wavers. His word, that word that is true to the very end, tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. His love is steadfast. He loves us. He sent a son to die for us. Believe on that this evening, dear saint. You see, he remembers the love of God. Why? Because in his vision, what does he see? He sees those evil persecutors, those who are closing around him. Their intentions were evil and unjust. And he appeals to the Lord, give me life. He needs God to deliver him from his enemies. He cries, give me life or I die. Draw near to me or I perish. God, your love is sufficient for me. I know that you will not feel me. The love of God. The steadfast love of God, dear saint, is ours this evening. We may wonder and worry. And we may think, what will tomorrow bring? Tonight have hope. Tonight have hope in your God. Because secondly, evil will come but God. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. The psalmist cries out to God in a prayer, and it's as if he opens his eyes, and what does he see? He sees the enemy all around him once again. They have nothing but ill intent and, and malice towards him. Look at 151. But you are near, O Lord. We may miss this. At times we read our Bible so fast that we miss those words and how it changes from one dynamic to another. And in verse 150, the psalmist looks out. And he sees nothing but worry, fear, trials, evil people coming that have nothing but ill intent toward him. And rather than shrivel up in fear, and rather than, as it were, pull up his coat and run the other way, what does he do? He remembers his God. But you are near Yahweh. The psalmist is here clarifying indeed again that God is his shelter and God is his refuge even though the enemy should around him. He does not worry or fret. Why? Because God is near. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. 
We need fear no evil in this world. We need fear no trial, no tribulation, no worry or fretting why because of the very presence and steadfast love of our God, Yahweh. We must realize and recognize this, dear saint. Our enemies may be malice. They may have grand plans for persecuting us. They may even be resolute so as to not allow any opportunity to slip by without attempting to harm us. But our focus is not on them. Our focus for all of us this evening should be on our God. The enemy does not fear God. And there is his downfall. Matthew Henry says that this comes in here as a reason why the psalmist was so very earnest in his prayer. There are times when God allows us to enter into peril, but he has promised we are in his hand, and when we cry out for him, he has promised to deliver us. You are near, O Lord. Paul, in the book of Romans, reassures us again, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The world can throw whatever it wants at us. When you're in the midst of it, remember your God. When you walk through trials, remember the steadfast love of God. The psalmist tells us here again that God's commandments are true. Our enemies think that they can defeat us and that the promise of God's, the promises of God are meaningless. They are sure. They are sure and they are true. Long have I known, verse 152, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. It's as it were that rubber stamp on the verse before. Your commandments are true. And and how do I know that? Well, from time and eternity they have been with God's covenant people. The word through God which was spoken through men and written down. This is the promise that is affirmed to us this evening. That which is on your laps. That which at times gains dust on our shelves and is barely opened. And it contains the truth. And it contains help. God's promised word was founded by God. His promises are true and amen. Read the word of God. Seek those promises as you you go into your devotions and as you open up the word of God. 
Don't read it just merely to read it. Slow down. Take each word and remember it's given to you by the creator of all things. It's given to you by God himself. God's word is true. God's word has been given to us. And God has always fulfilled his promises even beyond what the psalmist expected. The psalmist cried out to God, Help me. Enable me. And what was brought to his mind? It wasn't chariots. It wasn't horses. It wasn't a physical army. It was the very word of God that gave him life. In 1716, Annie Steele wrote the last verse of the hymn that we're about to sing this evening. This woman had been through it all. Her mother had died at a very young age. Her father had died when she was in her middle ages. It's reported that the day before she was to be betrothed to her husband, that he drowned and perished in a river. She was sick. She had been betrayed by all around her. For nine long years she lay bedridden, unable to move. But in those nine years, this woman would write many, many, many hymns. Over 400 hymns she would write. She would write many poems. She would not wallow or be disgruntled. No. In those nine years in her bed, It was said that time and time again she could be heard praying and petitioning the throne. In the last verse that we're going to sing, it's where our hope is found. Divine instructor, gracious Lord, be thou forever near. Teach me to love thy sacred word and view my Savior there. As you read your Bibles, as you go into your prayer closet, we go into the divine instructor. We go into the greatest teacher that man has ever known, God himself. A God indeed who is gracious to his people. A God who she wrote was forever near. Not just one day or two days, but forever Teach me to love thy sacred word. If you wonder what to pray first thing in the morning, cry that out. Lord, help me to love your word. And as I do so, help me to see my Savior there. The one who bled, the one who died, the one who rose on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. Divine instructor, gracious Lord, be thou forever near. Teach me to love thy sacred word and view my Savior there.
the psalm that we've looked at this evening, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we do thank you again this evening for your word. Lord, we pray that as men and women of faith, that you would equip us and enable us and help us to be in your word more in these days. Lord, help us not to make excuses or to put these times off, but Lord, help us to focus our minds upon you and your word and the law that's contained in it. We pray indeed, O Lord, that we would be a praying people. Lord, we even pray for our prayer meeting that you would, as it were, revive it and bring many to come and to pray to you. Lord, our prayer closet, we ask that we would be in it each and every day as we pray and petition you for the needs of many around us and of ourselves. Lord, may it be that sweet communion with you. And even as we've been reminded tonight, may it be the focus upon our minds, both even as we go to our beds, even this evening, and as we wake tomorrow morning, help us to be reminded of you, our great God. Lord, help us in our trials. Help us in our tribulation. Help us even when the evil one surrounds us not to look at that but to be reminded that you, our God, are indeed near. Lord, encourage our hearts in these things. May it be that we would be revived from your word and give us that zeal and that hunger to be equipped in these days. And may we do it to your glory and to your honor. For we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.